Hello and welcome to McCartney in Gold. This is the podcast that debates and dissects a great album of pop music. We take some stories about an album that we love, we mix in some opinion, we sprinkle over a World Cup style knockout scenario and we stick it all in a blender. The results should be delectable but we make them inedible. I'm David Hughes and I'm joined by my fellow referees Brett and Steve Sumner. Hola. And we'll start with a qualifying round to whittle these 10 album tracks down to eight quarterfinalists before we meander to the nerve-jangling semis and stumble our way to the big one, the final. We may be uninformed, we could be biased, and we will certainly be unruly. This episode is officially McCartney safe, which means that if you listen to this or support this podcast, you will not be supporting the harming of Paul McCartney (laughs) in any way. So here's the puns bit, and today it's going to be a quiz. So Punctuary. It, it lacks artistry, that. Tonight it, it's guess the puns. Okay, so oh. this is this is a little quiz. I'm going to blank the puns, and oh you gosh. have to guess, based Sounds on painful. the album tracks, what the pun would have been or is. Love it, love it. Ready? Yes. I mean, okay. it's not convoluted or complicated at all, so everything's fine. No. <laughs> we are about to discuss an album that blanked all others. Um, eclipsed. Yes. Smashed it. Lovely stuff. It spent more blank in the charts than any Time. Other... Yes. Than any other record before or since. Yeah. And it earns Dave Gilmore and Roger Waters <laughs> loads blank. of it. Money. Money. <laughs> yes. Faster than they could blank. Oh, uh faster than they could. Uh, breathe. Yes. Gosh. Oh. Smashing it. It's not even my favourite album. Steve, come on. You should be winning this. There we go. That's it. So, yes, it's Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Dave and I, I how many times have you listened to it this week, Dave? I listened to it once because it already flows in my blank veins, so I didn't need to, to bother. I, I listened to it, yeah, probably two or three times, which is yeah. um, sometimes that's just an average week of, of listening to <laughs> Oh, God. Because <laughs> he loves Pink Floyd. I don't know if you got the implication of that. Oh, it's so uncool, isn't it? Pink Floyd. So uncool. I don't I mean, give a shit. Best band ever. Johnny Rotten wore a Pink Floyd t-shirt, didn't he? It was an I hate Pink Floyd t-shirt, but he oh. later admitted that he loved Pink Floyd. Did he? Was that was that when he was advertising butter? No. <laughs> long, long before the butter days, he admitted very happily that he thought Pink Floyd were great because everyone should. Everyone with ears. Uh, Sid Barrett was approached to produce uh, the first Sex Pistols album. Oh. oh. Okay. And the and the damned as well. So we've got two qualifiers to whittle these ten tracks down to eight quarter vine lists, and the first qualifier is "Speak to Me" against "On the Run." All right. Well, it does make sense for you to put these against each other. No, on that, I'll, I'll go uh, just to yep. explain uh, the sort of background to how these are paired up tonight. So uh, this is is could be the most difficult album that we ever do in terms of trying to pair tracks against each other. Agreed. In parts, I've tried to theme tracks against each other. So Speak To Me and On The Run are the two most like each other in that they're not really yeah, agreed. formed of melody and uh, instruments. Or many um, hooks. So the second quarterfinal, for, uh, sorry, so the second qualifier, for example, is Any Colour You Like, against Great Gig in the Sky. When we get through to the quarterfinals, we'll find Brain Damage and Eclipse are paired against each other. Um, So they're kind of one song cut into two, uh, split into two parts. So that's how I've I've approached this. Um, But it will probably be the most controversial and difficult um, pairing of tracks that we we ever do. So back to the qualifiers. Speak to me against On The Run. Dave, I'm going to speak to you and tell you that On The Run is the better track. 
Um, it's just really interesting. It's got, it sounds almost like a futuristic uh, action film. It's got a real kind of soundtrack quality to it. I like the, I really like the use of the the, the sampler and it's one of the ver- first samplers used. Um, as Steve, you probably know, it's a VCS3. Mm-hmm. So that's a very popular early sampler. I just really like the way they really worked on that and all the oscillation and stuff like that. And I think it was a really difficult track to do because they had to add so many tracks on it. They had to kind of literally mix it. All of all hands apparently were on deck to kind of mix it. Um, yeah, because yeah, you've got to mix in real time. And yeah, and they only had 16 tracks. Even then, yeah. Abbey, they recorded this at Abbey Road. Yeah. Um, and I think Abbey Road had only just recently got a 16 track, even by 1972. I've seen the desk it was mixed on. When I walked yes. through, through the Abbey Road... So a corridor the guy i was walking yeah. with he said he said that is the desk that they mixed dark side of the moon on I was yeah like, if you stroll around abbey road if you get lucky enough to go to abbey road um you will see just there's not enough space so like the corridors are littered with like historic mixing desks yeah and just ephemera from rock history it's, it's an unbelievable place anyway oh, so, oh, hang on no that's great i remember because of course i said to the guy well this is you know you've got these weird old desks sitting in in the corridor and he said well we did we did sort of try to get rid of them and, and, and I'm an engineer and, and this is the guy speaking, I'm an engineer and I would, uh, you know, obviously prefer to work with new digital stuff. But the thing is, this is the most famous studio in the world and we're famous for making these famous albums and we made them on this analog old school equipment and people sort of book the studio and say, I want to record this on the desk that they made Sergeant Pepper on. I want to record this on the desk they made Dark Side of the Moon on. So if we mm. sold all this stuff, we'd basically lose half our clientele overnight and we haven't got room for it so it all just sits in the fucking corridors. It's very bizarre situation but i love it yeah he's mad so i i really like on the run it sounds like some kind of crazy soundtrack from a film made in 1978 about the year 24 yeah 1779 or something like that uh, the rhythm's kind of got a train track rhythm to it yeah but there's there's like a whirring kind of helicopter well you know what yeah, the section thing. was called originally what it was called travel section basically it was ba- it, because they had the, the they, they played the whole thing on stage weirdly um for That's a couple right, of months before yeah. as a thing called what was it called it was called eclipse a piece for eclipse a piece course. for assorted lunatics why was it called eclipse but well, that's what it was called before it was called Dark Side of the Moon, and Eclipse was a piece on it. Oh, was, it was actually was just the... called. It was actually it was it was actually called Dark Side of the Moon. Then another band released an album called Dark Side of the Moon, so they had to change it to Eclipse. In between them touring it for a year, right. the first album, I think they were called Medicine Hobbs or something, their album didn't do very well commercially, so they thought, well, let's just change it back to Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side again. of the Moon, brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. that's why they change it. To Very nice. And, and also, it's, it's a better title. Eclipse is a good title, but Eclipse subtitle "A Piece for Assorted Lunatics" is too much of a mouthful. So didn't work. But yeah, they did. So they did the second section after um, that. Those opening couple of tracks, they did this bit where, which was called travel section, um, where basically they just wanted to get a sense of like you know running to something or being under pressure to get somewhere, and they did it as kind of a like a guitar jam thing um and you can find it on youtube and it was it was pretty good but they were never quite comfortable with it so when apparently roger waters was fiddling around on the synthesizer and and uh, gilmore joined him and then they did this little pattern and speeded it up and stuck this in instead it's great i'm like Brett, i love it it's really atmospheric and and obviously um you got to vote for that here because speak to me really is just it's just an opening montage of the of this uh, it's a beautiful montage and it works really well mm. to draw the whole piece together because they are all they are all sounds that appear on other tracks throughout the album but mm. you can't really vote for that in place of um 
on the run. They're just setting out the stalled. So this is what's going to happen yeah. two or three times a week if you're David Hughes. All right. The second qualifier is any colour you like against Great Gig in the Sky. So as I um, hinted at earlier, they're both instrumentals. Well, Great Gig in the Sky has got a very famous vocal to it, though, hasn't it? That's yes, good point. So it, there is a uh, an iconic uh, vocal um, where Claire Tory, Tory who is I think the, it's Tory anyway with a double R, isn't it? It's it it does, definitely double R. Okay, Claire Tory uses yeah. her voice as an instrument, uh, so she doesn't sing any any words. She improvises over the top of the music they told her to go in and think about death and horror and she did that performance um which is kind of really crazy and off the wall and she came out and was really embarrassed and thought she'd done a terrible job and they were like that's it that's exactly what we wanted yeah, we love it, it. it. Well but, but they didn't yeah. tell her that she oh left, really she she left and and she thought that uh oh, it's, it's just going to be cut they'll they'll never use my vocal and then later, and they didn't even tell her it had been it had been put on the album and released. So she was yeah. walking past the shop, saw it in the shop window, went in and bought it, wow. saw her name on the back, and then yeah. played it and realised they'd used that she did three takes. They spliced them together um, and used the best of, of the three takes. did sue many many years later um for not not unreasonably because obviously once it had made millions and billions and billions of pounds yeah um she kind of sued along the lines of well i got a session fee and technically you could argue i kind of wrote that because that yeah so she did she did settle in the end for a fair whack of cash i think oh, good. so that's that's against any color you like which is oh, a great yeah. gig in the sky easy for me yeah, I saw a wonderful interview with Dave Gilmore once, which always stayed with me, where somebody, he was trying to ask him questions he'd never asked him before. And the question, I read it on the page and it read really well. It said, um, David, is there ever a time when you listen to the great gig in the sky and you just think, oh, for God's sake, shut up. And it just said, <laughs> long pause, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like amazing. I thought, what an honest answer, because I think I think you have to be in the mood for it. Oh, um, it's really off the wall, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's no, it's off Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> hey! Oh, it's a Pink Floyd joke. Lovely stuff. <laughs> oh, um, you, you're Gingham happy with that, aren't you? I was very happy with that. Let's I think just I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I can't stop that, mate. Podcast is done. <laughs> um, Great King the Sky is Richard Wright doing the music and it's i mean we'll, we'll get into the the gilmore waters thing a bit more later but i really think i mean nick mason fine you can live you can live without nick who's mason, nick mason nick mason is the drummer and you could you, he's the one person you could kind of substitute he's i mean ironically he's the only one that's been in every pink Floyd lineup but actually he's the one person that you could substitute and it would still be fine whereas rick wright is is the unsung sort of hero of the the floyd sound and people not least me get very very heated into the Gil gilmore waters debate and them not understanding each other and all of that stuff that we'll talk about so later, gilmore but... and waters are the guitarist and the bassist and the main songwriters in the band yes 
but Richard Wright, is it Richard Wright, Rick Wright? Rick Wright, yeah. He played the keyboards, but he also wrote songs as well. He, not, not so much. I mean, the, no. well, the whole issue, if we're going to get into this, I mean, the, the whole issue is that, that Roger Waters gradually took over, a bit like McCartney did in the Beatles, but way more extreme manner and became the sole songwriter of things from this point onwards, really. He, he, you know, in, in terms of lyrics, it was entirely him. This album is entirely him for lyrics. But with Gilmore Waters, it really is true because Waters is bile and bite and you know hefty lyricism and gilmore is melody and sound and sonics so essentially if you listen to waters on his own what you get is mostly bile and if you listen to gilmore on his own it's sort of mostly tunes without it's just vacuous you know and and so not, uh, not at this stage though uh, i think certainly later on later on that's how it gets yeah yeah yeah, that's true but i think at this stage that there was definitely a strong creative tension between roger waters and dave gilmore but um waters complaint is waters complaint is always they accuse me of being dictatorial and taking over the writing of the songs but nobody brought any fucking songs to the studio they can accuse me all they want but nobody came with shit i brought songs i mean you listen to that demo of money i sent you guys on whatsapp before the podcast it's all there it's all done and it's like sonically the amount the other bring the other guys bring is absolutely massive if you had waters on his own it would be pretty much unlistenable you can't underestimate their contribution but did they bring songs inverted commas or ideas at the beginning of the day no not at all and that was his point he's like no one's bringing me shit we're, we're yeah straying a little bit but they didn't they didn't tend to write like i mean roger waters did bring songs and they all worked them up yeah but they're not a band that tended to work like that like lennon and mccartney would no. write half a song or three quarters of a song and bring it to the other and they'd finish it together sure a lot well all of this album was jammed out on stage for a year or or so before it was yeah, brought into it's... the studio a lot of it was written as a as a jam and, and the they um, toured it it's really interesting for a band to go out and tour an album they haven't released it's, yeah it's very very i can't think a, of another example it's amazing of it. this is such a hugely successful album commercially um and it, it, from an artistic perspective, it really makes sense to take your set of songs, go out and tour them, cut off all the edges, iron it out, get it as smooth. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And it used to amazing. happen a lot more like that. It doesn't. Did it? Doesn't. I can't, I can't yeah, think of a single example. Yeah, that's really. Interesting. I can't imagine. I don't know why people don't use that prototype more and do that as a kind of the the creative process because it works. It was obviously worked with this one. It was in the Billboard Top Hundred for about seven hundred and fifty. Weeks, wasn't Weeks, it? yeah, fifteen years. Fifteen years, Pro- probably since it, it got possible to record at gigs and rip off songs and issue bootlegs, which it's it was a lot harder to do in the sixties. Yeah, um, I think it went out of fashion. Yeah, that's um, true. But the point, the point, going back to the Waters Gilmore thing, I think although there was creative tension at this point, nineteen seventy three, it produced it. They, they were at their pinnacle. Oh yeah, everyone, everyone was tension. working together for sure. So let, let's get uh, let's get past Great Gig in the Sky and Any Colour You Like. So Great, great Gig, Gig in the Sky. sky. I'm going Great Gig in the Sky. Any Colour You Like is a it's kind of a transition track in between yeah. Us and Them, which is a massive track, and then the the closing two uh, tracks, which is Brain Damage and Eclipse, which are put together a kind of one big thing. Um, and Any, any Colour You Like bridges those two. It does it really nicely.
I really like the bass playing on it because even, I mean Waters gets a lot of stick for his musicianship um, not least within Pink Floyd for just not being a very good musician but he has this white boy funky thing that he does sometimes and he does it on that and it's his bass playing on that's amazing he does it on Echoes on Medley of the previous uh, a couple of albums before and it just occasionally he does this funky thing and I love it I've got a great gig in the sky here, but I do love his bass playing on that. Cool. And with that, we are through to the quarterfinals. Back to the top. First quarterfinal is On The Run against Breathe. Breathe. It's got to be Breathe. It's got to be On The Run. You can't vote On The Run against Breathe. I just have. I just have. For God's sake. Do you really hate this album so much that you're voting for the wiggly synthesizer one over an actual song? I don't hate it. I just prefer On The Run. It's not. It's just, it's a great piece of music. It's a great piece of kind of tension and it moves somewhere and it has some kind of, Breathe's just a bit plodding and. Oh God. (laughs) When when they did Live 8, (laughs) when they did Live 8, um and they got back together the four of them got back together and they came on and they and they opened with breathe i was beside myself it's just the most atmospheric thing i, I mean yeah. I, I i watched it like every night for a year i was so obsessed with it <laughs> it's just there's something about it if, i mean i think that's the thing and i can totally see how if floyd's not your thing it could sound plodding but it's like it's a this is such a classic example of we're looking at the same color and you're seeing a completely different color to me any colour you like. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's... it's da- hey, Dave does the puns. I know, sorry. <laughs> That's his thing. Happening. I don't know what's That's happening. That's his thing. You, you famously hate puns and now you are just <laughs> literally <know>. hitting puns. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop. Maybe I'll, I'll speak them instead. Um, yeah, but you, you're hearing something completely different to me. I think it's one of the most atmospheric openings uh, to an album I, I can think of. I love it. Breathe, breathe in the air. Yeah, Breathe It Is. Self-produced album, but they had yeah. an engineer, Alan Parsons, who did a lot of great work on this album. And Alan, I, I didn't realise that's the same Alan Parsons of the Alan Parsons Project. Yeah. Same guy. Is yeah. he, he? He's basically, a, I mean, he doesn't get credit as a producer, does he, on this? He gets credit no, as the engineer, but exactly. he's basically like a producer. Yeah. Totally yeah. I mean, he suggested the idea of alarm clocks and sound effects on, on the start of, of time. And then he, I think he did the same thing for money as well. He got the same. He'd been doing a lot of work on quadraphonic recording for different uh, albums for EMI. So he kind of came up with a lot of those ideas, I think, just to kind of yeah. flesh out the kind of concept they were going for. Alan Parsons. So his first job in October 1967, yeah. the age of 18, yeah. he went to work as an assistant engineer at Abbey Road, yeah. and his first project was, was uh, working on <laughs> Abbey Road. Abbey Road, amazing. Wow. Good what life a, experience, yeah. What a first job. Incredible. It's better than uh, clearing up hair in the local bar, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit more, yeah, toppy anecdotally, I've got to admit. Well, it would have been shit if he'd gone the other way, if like his first job had been making Abbey Road with the Beatles in Abbey Road, and then he went on to sweep up hair at the local barbers. Yeah. the trajectory yeah. would have been in the wrong, all in the wrong, in the wrong way. way he probably all wouldn't ever tell way. the story because it would just make him look bad he'd like look how well I started look where I am now this is shit oh, terrible I don't know where we're going with it. Dave, Dave pulled me into line <laughs> so we just I've gone off on one 
So the first quarter final uh, on the run, Breathe. We've got Breathe going through two uh, one, controversially. Uh, second quarter final oh, is on the run didn't go through. Yeah, it's controversial. No, it yeah. is. You're right. It's a fucking disgrace. The second quarter final is Time oh, against. Oh. Great gig in the sky, which comes through the qualifiers. Time, 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 time. Let's move on. So, yeah, absolutely. Time, I think this is the first time where hey. See... Hey. Can you stop with the puns <laughs> stop it sorry come on oh, sorry it wasn't deliberate i promise or was it um it's the first point in the podcast up until now where the, the the roger waters lyric thing really kicks in and i think if you watch interviews especially in the 80s and 90s when roger waters was seriously a better man he was a really better man he really thought that is he any less bitter now is he any less significantly so yes he did he did did take the the, 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 question after live eight after live eight uh they got back together at live eight and they didn't manage to get back together because dave gilmore was having nothing to do with it but there's actually it's it's gone bad again recently the relationship between the two of them for various reasons about internet things but anyway in those interviews when he was seriously bitter he 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 sort of didn't understand for a long time that the appeal of the album was many things he really thought it was his lyrics and he has learned to accept, if you look at later interviews, that actually yeah. that is a big part of it, but that it, it, it really is a, a team effort, like Dave said, and that actually it's, yeah. the, it's the guitar playing, it's the keyboard playing, it's the sounds and it's the collaboration. Yeah. But this what? is the first time that, that, that his lyrics really start to be like, really get to me. There are some lyrics on time that mean a lot to me. What is this album about conceptually then? What are his lyrics about? Th- there's not one thing, but I think he took, he took themes uh, so time is is one of them. Morality, uh, money. money. It's kind of is what you it, do with a life. Greed is greed, yeah. isn't it? It's the yeah. concept of mental madness. illness. Mental illness. Mental illness. Yeah. But but you know, so, all right, fine. So 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 time time gets my vote here then. Um, but I mean, that some of the lyrics. Um, this I, is quite a close one for me. Great gig in the sky is. Uh, we, we've uh, we've touched on how some of the greatest art is produced in very everyday circumstances. In this case, you've got uh, Claire Torrey. Uh, it was an accountant, no less, from Abbey Road Studios who phoned Claire Torrey and tried to arrange a session for that evening. It was a Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, she had tickets to see Chuck Berry that evening. So they scheduled the, the session for the Sunday evening. And she turned up, was paid the standard flat rate of £30, which, Steve, you said, she, she, 30 years later, she sued for co-writing credit. Um, and, and that was it. She turned up, she did three takes. They didn't say it because they were, they were very reserved English about it. They didn't really say uh, how she did, um, give her any feedback. She left thinking, oh, it's just going to be cut. And then it, it turned up and it's one of the most well-known tracks on the album it is but i think that the the that whilst waters may have overstated it for years his lyrics are a huge part of what makes this album so incredible and there there's a couple of lyrics on time which really get to me uh which is what was it um and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you no one told you when to run you missed the starting gun and it's just like oh it's killer it's like fucking hell you know we you know 
life is happening now. It's happening now. Mm. It's not, you know, I've spent an awful lot of my life dreaming about the future. I'm 44. The future is probably a chunk of it's gone. Do you know what I mean? And it's like that lyric every year that goes by that lyric gets to me more. Um, Live in the present. Oh God, I find it. I find it. I mean, in a good way, in a melancholy way, but I find it really difficult but it challenges me and the other one which is great and i love how, how big it was in america which is hanging on in quiet desperation is the english way, english way. it's just like oh yeah. what a lyric yeah that is a great line Yeah, it, his that that theme. So that's another one of the themes uh, in in time is Waters' uh, portrayal that life is not about preparing yourself for what happens next, but about grabbing control of your own destiny now. Yeah, and he he kind of follows it through in in a couple of uh, well, three or four verses, kicking around the piece of ground in your hometown. Yeah, waiting through, for someone or something to show you the way. It's like you know, come on, yeah, is anything gonna happen? Through, through to to the next stage, through to the next stage, to through to realizing that the time's now gone. It's too late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's a it's a wonderful piece. I, I have to hope for that. Also, side note, again, it's another example of of why the others were so important to his lyricism at this point. Because as well as all the musicianship, um, it's uh, right and Gilmore doing the vocals and you know Gilmore's mm. an, Gilmore is an amazing singer and again people talk about Gilmore's singing versus Waters sort of throaty raspy thing that, that gets more and more as they go on but people don't talk about Rick Rice singing again he just gets completely yeah. forgotten about for some reason and he's singing it's beautiful and it melds the, the, the harmony uh, blend he has with, with Gilmore is, is great as well he just he doesn't he's a totally unsung hero of this band so time goes through to the semis and uh, let's put a pin in that because if we don't uh talk about it now i'm sure we will in the semis those bloody bells oh what <laughs> yeah if you're, let's save if, it if you're trying right. to go to sleep to it if you're trying to go to sleep to it and those bells kick in they're oh, just they're yeah, mixed no. they're just mixed 10 percent too loud it's like they really <laughs> are a very arresting noise when you listen yeah. to headphones oh, yeah. uh, right the next quarter final is money against us and them for somebody who hasn't heard dark side of the moon money is probably the track that they're most likely to recognize yeah, it's, it's probably the one was that released has crossed a single, over was it? yes it's the only one that was released as a single i mean they weren't planning on releasing single singles but um the record companies will you know inevitably said you need a hit single and luckily it was a hit single It's the most obvious kind of riffy type of thing, is it? it's kind of well, like a blues it riff. Is, but but it's a it is a blues riff. But you're you're the drummer. What timing is it in? Seven eight time. It is seven eight until it gets to the solo, and then they just knock four, it into four four. four. Yeah, that's why it's got that kind of real sense of proportion at the end. It's got that kind of groove. Like mm, we're going, we're hitting the solo now. It's great. Seven eight time is very weird. 
it's very weird and that's the thing because you, you're, you're right, you're right it is a it is a, um, a sort of straight blues song in some ways but seven yeah. eight, i mean nick mason again didn't play on it because he couldn't play on it. he's just like oh let's do a session oh, most i can't, I can't play like, in seven eight. Oh, what are you doing seven eight time we're not a jazz band money's oh money's great um it's great and that that whole time signature trick they do is is fantastic um us and them they'd uh again it's a rick wright sort of uh really jazz chords piano thing that he had knocking about they'd actually had that since they did the soundtrack to zabriskie point many albums earlier and it had just been sitting around uh doing nothing and and i think no one had ever thought to sort of dig it up and get it out and suddenly he got it out for this and it became this uh lovely thing that again waters put the uh the lyrics on top but at one of the one of the things Roger Waters apparently is very good at, and I've seen a couple of interviews with people who've worked with him, he would say he's not the best musician in the world. We all know that, but he is amazingly good at going now. No, no, wait. Now. And, and just having knowing when to do things. And apparently the thing on this track that he uh, was really in, finding really important was that was the gap for the, for the echo with us. Us. Do, do, do and then and, and just to take the time to let that echo for as long as it did and that's quite a bold uh thing to do and that's apparently a very sort of waters thing us. So this is so appropriate that we're talking about money, and and but both both literally the track yeah. and figuratively yeah. in yeah. Dave Gilmore oh, yeah. ended up with, well they they all ended up with a lot of money, but Dave Gilmore ended up with a lot. Yeah, I mean even Claire Torrey's got her own yacht. I mean come on, they've all done well at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to vote for money. Money, that's what I want. Yes. Are you voting for money as well, Steve? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're both good, but I, I prefer money, oh. I, especially when it hits, when it turns to 4-4. Who four, doesn't like, prefer like money, said. Steve? Well, yeah, exactly. So us and them, lyrics are about the, the senseless nature of war yep. and the uh, ignorance of uh, modern-day humans taken over by consumerism. Yes. Which, There's a great closing line on that. Well, it's fair enough, but I, th- I, I think that some of the like the lyrics on time i was talking about really get to me i think there's some great lyrics here but he actually said in an interview i saw he said i you know when i listen to it now i can't believe that i got away with so much sort of sixth form poetry on that album and actually i think that that's uh and not that sixth form poetry i love me a bit of sixth form poetry well yeah it's more to saying it not me and i don't i don't agree i think his lyrics are, are fantastic but i think the 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 one time when i think um that you know things like with without and after all that's what the fighting's all about it's like it's either really good or sixth form poetry and it's just on the edge there it sounds great so you don't notice that it, it could be um but it just has you know money's just right on there for me so there you go us and them is not going through no money no. there you go money speaks. goes through right what's next money speaks loud dave you're right yeah okay so that's those three what's the next is the last quarter final and this is the last quarter Ooh. final which means it is brain damage against eclipse the final two tracks so you've just so, you've just teased album. us about sid barrett i mean sid barrett was the kind of the band leader kind of very psychedelic part of the, the kind of late 60s psychedelia um and sid barrett was kind of a, a real golden star of that 
that whole musical movement, wasn't he? And I, they didn't have Dave Gilmore at this stage, remember? He joined it's after. true. He wasn't a member of the band. No, he joined after Sid Barrett left, He or kind of just as Sid Barrett's leaving. Sid Barrett is this incredible figure, I think, just informs the whole of the, the golden era of Pink Floyd, which is the 70s, isn't it? All of those albums, you can hear echoes of the story of Sid Barrett through this. He basically just just chowed down loads of LSD, didn't he, in the late yeah. 60s? Yeah. That, that, that was a deliberate style to write in a yeah. free-form way, yeah. often with childlike lyrics about bikes and gnomes and, yeah. and so, scarecrows. But they were called the T-set, right? This is unbelievable. They were called the T-set and they turned up at a gig and there was another band called the T-sets. Of course there was. Not only is it the worst name in we had two bands at it. So then they, they went, oh, let's call ourselves the Pink Floyd or the Pink Floyd Blues Band or whatever. So yeah. that's how they got the name of Pink Floyd. Um, so, I mean, incredible kind of mad names that just popped around in the 60s. It was such a interesting uh, point of creativity. Where did Pink Floyd come from, Brett? That's your quiz. Uh, I don't know. So it was named after two blues guitarists. One, uh, I can't remember the, the, the second names in each case. One was called Pink Hoobly Doobly Doobly and the other one was called Floyd Bangly Bangly Bang. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Those are the, the correct names. Dave's definitely looking awkward. He's going to cut that I, out. I am now looking those up in Spotify. I want to get them on my playlist. Both of them. Floyd Bangly 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 Bang. Fact. Great. Fact. Especially Bangly Bangly Bang. He had a lovely, to- he had a lovely tone. Yeah, Especially his early stuff. Yeah, yeah. Was, well, yeah. particularly his early stuff. He went off a bit after the first couple of rounds. <laughs> so well, anyway, he went, so he went all a bit hoobly hoobly. <laughs> did so, so Sid Barrett is one of the icons of the of the late late sixties. His backstory alone is is very oh, uh, yeah. oh, interesting. His, his father was a leading pathologist and right. was related to Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, who uh, was the suffragette and the first woman in Britain to qualify as a surgeon. Wow. Um, Sid Barrett, as a child, he played the piano a little bit, but preferred writing yeah. and drawing. And at 15, he built his own amplifier. And that's when he started experimenting with distortion and feedback, which was obviously the character of... Yeah, he had Pink a very early. distinct guitar style, especially for those... Has there people. not been a biopic of him yet? Like even like a BBC thing or something. I can't. It's been, think a document- of, oh. it's been documentaries, but no biopic. But, but then it been. all ends so tragically. It's such, so sad, Steve. It's like well, it's not sad. It's just it's just a long. It's a long. I mean, not that there haven't been really tragic Bi- biopics. Biopics don't need to be uplifting. I mean, I think it, it could still be really interesting. Yeah, it would be sad to. to they'd have to. I don't know, find a way of working it all through backwards. Oh, it, you could find a way. It's just, he took so much LSD that he just... And possibly I may mean, have literally been, lost his mind. He may have had some kind of underlying mental health problems even going into that, that in the late 60s yeah. wouldn't have been diagnosed. Anyway, he's taken, he's very famous, very successful, suddenly successful. They're kind of the coolest cats in town. They play a club called UFO, which uh, spelt UFO, pronounced UFO. And he was the leader. He was, he was the lead the songwriter. Oh, he was the guitarist. Unquestionably. Hero. He's like, he's the, it's really weird how you get quite a lot of bands literally around 68 that this happens. You've got Brian Jones, uh, Peter Green maybe a year or two Pete, later. Peter Green, yeah. And then you've got Sid Barrett, like these incredible strong leaders of the band that the whole band is set around. The rest of the band are almost mesmerised but they love them and then they just crumble for whatever reason. Usually it's drugs. Um, and a bit underlying that is probably a more fragile character that has got more reasons um, to explore drugs, uh, to try and find answers they can't get. And you don't expect them to then mould into the great, you know, the thing that they become is much bigger. It's very strange. Ah, much bigger. I mean, hugely bigger. But Sid Barrett um, basically just started to disintegrate and he would go and play on stage and he'd just play like literally one chord for the whole gig. Yeah. 
And they're like, okay, I know we're like psychedelic and it's the late 60s and everyone's going, hey man, trippy, but like we can't get away with just playing one chord. And then he'd walk around and just detune his guitar during the gig. Yeah. And, and you know, but- people loved it, but the, the, the rest of the band are going, we can't cope with this anymore. And, and one day, basically, they just get in the bus and they're going, right, should we? And they're about to pick up Sid. And then someone goes, should we pick up Sid? Someone else says, oh, let's not no. bother. And they don't, they don't pick him up. Because they, they'd learned to play without him by that stage. Yeah, and they've got he was, the, he was, Gilmore in by this stage. He was so dysfunctional on stage. And he, like you say, he, he would just stand there detuning his guitar while the band were playing all around him. And presumably and they just, were filling in on vocals as well. Bit, and the audience yeah. loved it. They thought it was all part of the yeah. distortion and the feedback that yeah. he was just strumming one chord and detuning his guitar. But yeah. the rest of the band were just fed up with it and, and, yeah. and, and had learned to function through getting in session musicians and uh, Dave guest guitarists yeah. like Dave Gilmore. Yeah. If you look at an interview of Dave Gilmore, bloody hell, it looks like he's just come off the golf course for the yeah. Rotary Club and oh, yeah. golf <laughs> tournament. <laughs> Fuck yeah, yeah. me. I watched him in an interview. He's wearing a ringneck jumper with a shirt collar over the top. I mean, who does that? Barra is the, the vast spray of colour we need in the Pink Floyd story. Oh, it's true. And, and we've got uh, brain damage against Eclipse. So brain damage, which does include the line, and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes. Yeah. Sid Barrett kind of faded out of the band. He was at school with Roger Waters, so he was yeah. a childhood friend. Those two of them uh, formed the band. They were the... Uh, Founders. Kind of the Lennon McCartney. Yeah, yeah. To, 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 to take that decision to cut him out, um, which I, I'm sure was more Roger Waters than... Uh, than anyone else is a strong decision but mm. then rather than just fold because they they had something they had a couple of albums they weren't they weren't successful like the kinks or the who but they they had moderate success to to then pick up the pieces and become the creative force in the band the band leader and plot their art, artistic direction through the 1970s to the point where they produced oh. this which is just it makes all other successful albums look like nothing. I mean, it's fourteen times platinum. It's it's a such huge a huge commercial huge band. monster of an album. Yeah. To 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 take all all of that on your own shoulders and then and then guide the band through. Um, but also kudos to I, the record company in that situation because the record company let them make essentially flops for a number of years before they got Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, who would do that now? That would never happen. They, they certainly um, had a period of development like bands did in the 60s and 70s that they don't get a chance to anymore. Yeah. But the point about Roger Waters being strong, I think the strength of character to go through all of that, lose your childhood friend, yeah. to, to take the difficult decision that needed to be taken at that time, then pick up the pieces, then guide the band through to fill in the vacuum. Uh, incredible strength of character. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. But it did. It, it does haunt him because he he does 
he does come back to Sid Barrett and the idea of mental health and all of those things. The Wall is about the the really about Sid Barrett. Shine on you, crazy diamond. Wish you hears about Sid Barrett. A lot of the stuff on here is about Sid Barrett. Oh yeah, he totally haunts Floyd right through to the end for sure. Completely. So. So brain damage against eclipse. I'm going for eclipse here. I love, I love the that the, the final. I love the list. Flourish. I love the the waters list. All that you die and all that you paint and all that you whiffle. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I'm going to go for <laughs> that one. all that you whiffle. I'm going to go for um, brain damage. So Dave, it's an in, it's an interesting decision for you. Oh, I was going to jump in there and go brain damage. Did it damage? Like, it is then. It's fine. I like them both. It's fine. They are one song, aren't they? Put together, yeah. they are greater than some of than the, the parts. Uh, yeah. Some of the parts. Okay, so brain damage goes through the semis. We have the semis now. Oh, the semis. Breathe against time and money against brain damage. So the first semi, breathe okay. against time. Or time in that case, because breathe, breathe, uh, time, time is the more developed song easily. It's so far more developed. And also time has a bit of breathe in it. So so if you like breathe as much as I do and you vote for time, you still get a bit of breathe reprised at the end. Done. Smashed it. I'm going to vote time. Steve, you've got some time for time. Dave, got what are you going time, for? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd go time as well. 3-0. Oh, bosh. Next. So the second semi-final is money against brain damage. Oh, well, that's easy as well then, money. Money. Kaching. Oh. Brain damage is great, but oh. it's not, I mean, money's, you know. Uh, and it's not again, a single, it's, is it? It's not a single. <sighs> wasn't going to be reason. My, my point, but there we are. Yeah. It's my point. <laughs> well, I know it's your point. That's why I backed <laughs> off and let you have it. <laughs> I would go brain damage. Okay. Well, you've been okay. outvoted, so let's move on. Yep, as usual. That's McCartney goal well, for you. So, so now we get to the big one. The final. We've... It's time against money. What would oh. you rather? Time, time or, or money? money? Oh, the, the age-old question. <laughs> That's amazing. Down. There you go. What do you, you want go. from That's life? That's the genius of Roger Waters. What do you want from life? Time or time money? Time or money. You can't have both. Wow, we really have stripped it down to its concomitant parts. The thing, you know, people, sometimes I think, oh, it's not really about, it's not really about the, That's a bit pretentious, you know, life. Time or money, bloody hell. If there was a version without the bells, so I got to keep time, but I didn't have to, <laughs> yeah, the bells. So if I didn't have to skip past the bells i don't have an issue with them and they make fractionally too loud i could i'd be done with them taking 10 percent down but i don't have an issue with the bells at all um i i'm gonna go for time because even though i, I love money it sounds weird now. uh i don't think those 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 lines those lines in time that i talked about earlier some of you know and the rabbit running after the sun and all of that i was really really of all the lyrics on the album it's the one that really really speaks to me so i'm gonna vote for time. The, the lyrics are great and they're just it's the funkiest they get probably in their entire career is is the verse figure on this it's like a i think you, it on, like, are you talking about money now i'm talking, talking about time there's a real funk to it. there's a real groove to that verse breaking away on that and it's like almost like slow motion funk dave what, how are you feeling uh i feel that every year is getting shorter we never seem to find the time
that's fair. Yeah. Oh, except we did to make a podcast. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. There's age-old themes in both of them, aren't there? But mm. that. The, the themes of time just um uh they kind of haunt you through life don't they every year's getting short how we say that every year don't we yeah we haven't, well, we haven't talked about the... do you know why that is dave because novelty if you have less novelty in your life time goes yeah. quicker the more... well this has been a novel year it has fucking hasn't yeah. it the more different stuff you pack in the slower time goes every year is getting shorter never seem to find the time That's plans it. that either come to naught half or half a page, a page of scribbled, lines. scribbled lines yeah it's wonderful stuff we haven't talked about the lyrics on money though there are some great great uh lyrics on money um you know the Learjet lyric and the I don't give me oh, don't that's... give me that goody good do goody good bullshit is some great and just the way he delivers them and again if you listen to that the the, the pretty dreadful waters original acoustic guitar um demo that i uh, found on youtube earlier today and uh, sent you he's doing it in this sort of really english way and then the bite that gilmore gives those lines he gives them exactly the bite they deserve as some you know get a, get a oh talk. and it's great and when it segs to the solo it's an extraordinary moment just, oh god it's yeah. so exciting but that, that line where he says uh so he's sort of parodying people who make loads of money. He doesn't specifically say rock stars, but new car, caviar, four star daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team. Yeah. I've always wondered whether that was a pop at Elton John. Elton even, John, yes, yeah. he bought Watford, didn't he? Yeah. Always, in, even in yeah. the mid-70s, it was the, the play trinket of rich men to buy a football team. That's interesting. You think of it as a modern, as a modern phenomenon, but it's not. Actually, Elton John was probably after Dark Side of the Moon. Um, we all, I'm voting for time. I'm voting Steve. for time. Dave? I'm going for time. What a surprise. Three middle-aged men want more time. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the podcast makes no money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have time. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want money anyway. No. Oh. Far away across the field, tolling on the iron bell, calls the faithful to their knees. Hear the softly spoken by.